Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixdown. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixdown. Cranking up. Right here on 3CR. Well, have you deleted your Facebook account yet? That seems to be the $64 question at the moment in social media circles. And if you're talking about Facebook, it's probably more like the $64 billion question. Hello, I'm John Langer, and welcome to another edition of Communication Mixdown. Now, I'm not sure if our special guest this week has gone and joined the Delete Facebook movement, but he's certainly been asking a lot of questions about the tech company and how it operates. His name is Greg Foister, and he's a journalist who writes regularly for a number of well-known publications and media outlets. And his recent article entitled Facebook and Data Harvesting was published in the Saturday paper a couple of weeks back, and reading it got me thinking that we should invite him onto the show Hello, Greg. Hello, John. Good to be here. Nice for you to be here as well. And uh, I'm not going to ask you whether you've deleted your Facebook account, at least not right now, but I'd like to start with something that uh, kind of situates everything for us, particularly in terms of what's known about what's known as the Cambridge Analytica data scandal. Now, most people listening probably are fairly familiar with what happened, but just to give us a little bit of a start briefly, and kind of just to set the scene, what happened and why was it defined as a scandal? Yeah, so this story actually goes back several years. The Guardian broke um, the story very recently, but all they really did was provide further evidence to allegations that had been going around the internet for about three years. What happened was... um, it actually goes back before Cambridge Analytica to a psychologist that started a um, internet, uh, sorry, a Facebook survey on personality and shared it with his friends, and it went viral. And that was that 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 survey was called My Personality. It collected about uh, six million profiles of people who had who had completed it, and then another researcher um, at Cambridge University essentially copied that survey and turned it into something that could be used commercially for uh, a company which was created for that purpose, Cambridge Analytica. So it got its name from the university where the researcher worked. He actually breached um, Facebook's terms of service, but also Amazon's terms of service because he was paying people to fill out the survey um, and it was supposed to be for research purposes, but they used the data to target people during lots of campaigns, not just Trump's election campaign, but also allegedly the Brexit campaign. 
Mm. So what they essentially said that they did was that they used um, Facebook likes to accurately predict people's personality and that gave them an advantage uh, when they were targeting people using Facebook ads, which could only be seen by those people. Mm. So they weren't public. You couldn't easily tell what was being shown to each individual. It was, it was hyper-targeted. Mm. That mm. Was, that's what they say that, that, they, that they did. The um, what what you're describing here is uh, it's it is interesting because the way it's been presented at the moment is that the, a lot of the outrage has been directed to Cambridge Analytica, but you're you're actually suggesting this goes back some time and it it could have in fact been predicted, particularly in in relation to the history of social media, and you you have actually started to describe this. I wanted you to break it down a little bit further. There's a there's a particular person that uh, that you mention in in your piece. Called, his name is Alexander Kogan, or Alexander yeah Alexander Kogan, and uh, he was doing something that uh, that started this off. Tell us a bit about him. Yeah, so Alexander Kogan was the researcher at Cambridge Analytica who saw the work of his colleagues, um, David Stilwell and another researcher named Kaczynski, who had found that you could use Facebook likes to accurately predict personality traits. So what Kogan did is he tried to commercialise that by having a partnership with Cambridge Analytica and using a personality survey to capture people's details. And it didn't just capture the details of people who had agreed to fill out the survey, it also captured the details of all their friends. Now, the thing is, at the time, that wasn't unusual. Other apps could also do that. It was a loophole in... It, it, actually, it wasn't quite a loophole. It was, it was deliberate setting in Facebook's um, API, which governs how um, third-party apps can access Facebook's data. So it was actually something that was allowed, and Facebook was aware of it, and thousands of apps were able to access the, the data of friends of the person who had filled out a survey on Facebook. So it wasn't unusual. And actually, a lot of what Cambridge Analytica did was pretty... Um, it, it could have been predicted. So mm. everything from uh, the micro-targeting, uh, that's been done before, the use of uh, very targeted advertising in a political context that was done by the Obama campaign in 2012. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to... Uh, it's all, wanted, it's all yeah, sort of been done before. Yeah, actually. I wanted to talk to you a bit more about all of those things, in fact. this uh, You mentioned David uh, uh, Stilwell as a, as mm. somebody who's very important in this. What what was his background? I, I, I understand you, you wrote that he was originally a student when he was doing this. Yeah, that's right. So I interviewed David Stilwell back in 20. 17, because Cambridge Analytica came to Australia, they gave a conference presentation um, on big data, and so I went along and then I sort of traced the history back to David Stilwell, who was a psychology student at the University of Cambridge at the time, and he set up an app um, surveying people on Facebook about their personality traits using a very well-known survey tool, which is the, the, the Big Five Personality Traits tool, mm. and it just went viral. So he wasn't intending for it to be, it, it, for it to amass the huge commercially valuable database that it did. It just went viral. Mm. And in the end, um, it collected about 6 million uh, responses, which included being able to link people's personality traits with their likes. 
And when you could link people's personality traits with their likes, you could reverse engineer it so that you could figure out people's uh, personality traits just by looking at what they had liked. And they found that they could reveal some very private attributes, like um, whether a person was was homosexual, their political Mm. orientation, just from viewing um, seemingly completely unrelated likes. So there were examples where they, they found that if somebody liked Hello Kitty, they were more likely to mm. be a Democrat. I can't remember the exact details, yes, yes. but it was and, yep, quite it, surprising. Yes, like, uh, kind of a cluster, I guess you could say. A, cl- a cluster of traits uh, hangs around That's certain right. things. Yep. Very interesting. I'm, I'm just trying to trace the threads here. So mm. you actually interviewed David Stilwell when he was out here with Cambridge Analytica. No, I didn't interview him when he was out here. I interviewed... Um, I went to the Cambridge Analytica talk and asked a few questions of Alexander, Alexander Nix when he was on stage, yes. which he fobbed off, actually. But um, David Stilwell wasn't out here. He was in uh, the UK. I just called him up in the UK. Oh, I see. He seemed to be the first. Okay. The first, he was the first element in the thread that then went on to Alexander Kogan and um, right. eventually Cambridge Analytica. So it, it all... The, the idea of using Facebook for personality profiling started with David Stilwell's app. Yes. And he's and now a big data analytics professor at Cambridge, uh, Cambridge University. It gets a bit confusing with the names here. I, yes. Well, I'm not intended, I'm, I, I believe. I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to sort out the, the various threads, but, but, they do, but they do in fact come together in the way you're describing it, that is basically around this idea of being able to plot people's profiles, uh, make assumptions about their likes and dislikes, and in fact make assumptions about their political orientations and all kinds of other things as well. Yeah, the interesting thing is that it doesn't just happen in a political context either. Companies have been using Facebook for personality-based targeting for a few years. It just doesn't get the same level of... um, Scrutiny, I suppose. We're not as concerned about it when a company targets us with ads for a product that we might like as we are when we hear about this mm. innovative new tool used to target um, people for political persuasion. But actually, it's the same technology, and it's, it's almost just as... It's almost scarier with a, a company, actually, because they also have access to really specific buying behaviour data. So they can use big data companies to target people not just on personality, but... Mm. Um, you know, the, late, the last thing that they looked on their web browser mm. or um, what they purchased when they went shopping at the supermarket. So yep. it's actually scarier with companies, and I'm surprised that it hasn't yet washed over into you do. Uh, concerns in yes, a commercial you do. sense. See, you've actually anticipated my next question because you do mention in the piece that there have been a number of companies that are doing precisely these things. You mentioned Google. You mentioned IBM, you mentioned YouTube, but clearly there's a whole range of commercial enterprises that are working around this kind of uh, technology and tracking technology. Absolutely, and in fact, the only studies that have shown this type of personality profiling has a significant effect are all in the commercial field. So David Stilwell, the psychologist who originally created that app, has recently published a, a study that targeted 3.5 million people with messages tailored to their personality traits, mm. and it resulted in 40% more clicks and mm. 50% more purchases for various commercial products, one of which was a beauty product, 
aimed at, at women and could be seen to target... Um, I'm not sure if it's neuroticism, but it was a, it was a certain trait that you know people might look at that and think it's a bit um, manipulative, I suppose. Yes. And it's a new level of manipulation because I mean I worked in advertising um, in my early career, and we never had this level of surveillance. Marketing. We never had this level of data for people. Yes. Um, it's just phenomenal how quickly it's grown and how you can micro-target now. I want to turn to another aspect of this of the the so-called scandal, the Cambridge Analytica working through Facebook, it's been suggested that they've hijacked democracy, particularly in relation to giving the Trump campaign an advantage for the presidential election. Mm. You point out, and this is an interesting thing, that Facebook was already involved in this and that these kinds of things were going on in the Obama, with the Obama campaign and even earlier than that. Oh, absolutely. And for this story, I didn't mention it, but I spoke with some people in Australia who've worked on um, election campaigns here. And they, the, the general sentiment for anybody who's worked on a political campaign is, yeah, they're using Facebook for targeting what's new. I mean, <laughs> it's been done for a, a long time. Right. Um, right. They may have done it at a, at a increasingly sophisticated level, mm. but we can't pretend that elections haven't become some kind of technological arms race where each side is doing whatever they can for an advantage. That's just the way modern democracy works. And if you've if you've looked at um, these, if you've had a if you've had a back end view at any of these political campaigns, it's it's kind of surprising the level of outrage this time. Why mm. did we get so angry about this particular um, breach of trust? Because we've been doing similar things for a long time, and you have to wonder if it's because of Trump's name attached to it. Mm. Um, this whirling uh, outrage over Russian yep. um, troll farms and fake news, and yep. whether that's been the thing that just suddenly blew open the lid on practices that have gone on for a very, very, very long time. Mm. Well, in, in internet terms, which would be, you know, five or six years. But it's, it's been happening for a while. Greg, let's have the a Obama little... The campaign actually pioneered a lot of this stuff. Let's have a little break, give you a breath, and we'll come back and talk more. Ali MC presents a brand new photography exhibition, Shot on the Road, an intimate yet confronting view of the forgotten parts of the world. Shot on the Road will be opening on Saturday, May 5 at the Fitzroy Library from 2 to 4 p.m. Shot on the Road is part of the 2018 Human Rights Arts and Film Festival and is supported by the City of Yarra, Prism Imaging and Brio Books. A 3CR supporter... You're with Communication Mixdown, and I'm talking with journalist and social media observer Greg Foister, and we're discussing Facebook and the Cambridge Analytica dating, data mining controversy. Greg, I want to move to Australia. You, you very, very briefly touched on this, because what I understand is that Cambridge Analytica, and I think you said this, that they did actually come here and offered their profiling services, but both parties distance themselves from the company. But you say in the piece that there is already there are already companies doing this kind of thing, the kinds of things that Cambridge Analytica does, and in fact they were working in the south in the recent South Australian election. Yes, so there's a company called I360, which is owned by um, far right. U.S. billionaires, 
the Koch brothers, that's K-O-C-H, um, and they worked with, according to Chris Kenny at The Australian, they worked on the South Australian election. Um, we don't know exactly what their technology does, and the South Australian Liberal Party and the National Liberal Party, Liberal Party wouldn't explain in any detail, um, but I assume from looking at videos that it's a voter database system, so it allows you to walk up to um, a person's door with the app on a phone and know a lot about that person before you um, talk to them. Mm. So that's not that new. I mean, the Labor Party can do that. Uh, um, it's actually, there's other platforms that can do it, but, but what would be new, and they wouldn't confirm this, would be some kind of automated profiling system which would be an algorithm that looked at the data of the person and suggested mem uh, messages based on that data. So it was an, an automated profiling process would be new, and I assume that's what Cambridge Analytica has been doing mm. and that other companies are doing, but it's very hard to get the details unless you've got um, you know, inside... Mm. Basically, you have to be involved in the campaign because no one's ever going to want to talk about it. Sure. Now, let's. Uh, there's a lot more to discuss, and in, in, uh, your article that you've written, we'll, we'll, we will be putting that up on the Communication Mixdown website along with the podcast right. of this show. But I want to move right into the present moment, and obviously you've been following this very carefully. I want to look at Mark Zuckerberg's fronting up to the U.S. Senate committee yesterday, and I was just ask, wanting to ask you, what did you take away from that encounter that we should all be thinking about at this point? Well, the big questions are around regulation, because that's the thing that's going to affect Facebook's share price. And um, if anything happens to Facebook's business model, where it makes it harder for people to use their extraordinary targeting tools, it would affect actually just about every company in the world that has ever used Facebook for advertising, which is just a massive number of companies. Everybody uses Facebook for advertising. So two questions. One is around, is Facebook a tech company or is it a publisher? Mm. If they're a publisher, there's, there's additional regulation required. They may take more ownership for the content. Um, if they're a tech company, they can say, hey, we're just providing a platform, which has been their line the whole time. Greg, I've got a. So, Greg, can I just interrupt? You? Your your line is breaking up a little bit. Is there any way that we can fix it up a bit? Or yeah, sure. I'll go somewhere that might be a bit better. Okay. Uh, we're talking with Greg Foister, and he's discussing Cambridge Analytica and Facebook, and we're talking a little bit about Mark Zuckerberg's fronting up to the U.S. Congress, the Senate Committee Commission yesterday and uh, his observations about that. He's just taking his phone into a place where we can get him it's, uh, sounding a little bit better. Are you there? Yeah, how's that? Is that better? Oh, about the same. Let's just carry on. <laughs> okay. We're, we're having a, a communication glitch and communication mixdown, but that's okay. It's happened before. I just, look, the thing about regulation, uh, it's very interesting, and, and you're discussing are they a tech company or are they a publisher? What what do you think is going to come out of that? I think they'll be fighting as hard as they possibly can to be still considered a tech company and not a publisher. Um, and then the other thing that's interesting that will be coming up is on the 25th of May, the EU's new data uh, laws come in, the General Data Protection Regulations. 
Now, these are the first uh, really stringent um, data regulations ever introduced um, in any jurisdiction around the world. They have, they're not toothless. They have some real um, penalties for companies, up to 4% of global turnover. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see whether that approach is echoed in other jurisdictions, such as the US, um, and also what happens in Australia, because we have very weak privacy laws. Mm. Um, for example, whereas in the UK and New Zealand and even the US, you can sue a private company over breach of privacy. You can't do that in Australia. Um, and the reason for that is that actually uh, News Limited was against those privacy mm. More, more stringent privacy laws because they wanted to be able to continue doing trashy tabloid content yep. um, that may not meet the public interest test. Mm. That's what I've been told by privacy advocates anyway. I'm following up this story, so I'm not sure exactly. Oh, well, we'll, we'll, that, we'll have to catch up with you when you... How that plays out, but it's yep. definitely... Um, we have very weak privacy laws compared to many jurisdictions, and especially the EU. So... It'll be interesting to see whether the EU's laws are replicated in other jurisdictions. And I understand also there's going to be some, uh, some something of an inquiry here as well into into Facebook and, and and these kinds of things. Is that correct or not? Yeah, so there's multiple um, investigations happening here. There's, there's been ongo- an ongoing... Um, I think that the... Well, first, first it's... it's I think what's interesting is that we're looking into this Cambridge Analytical scandal because if they didn't actually work in Australia, even though um, more than 300,000 people have had their data taken by Cambridge Analytica, if it wasn't actually used in a political context here, it doesn't. I, I can't see how that makes a difference mm. because if they didn't, if they weren't employed by uh, an Australian political party to offer services here, then the data would not really have been used. It wouldn't have been useful for the American campaign. Mm. Um, so I'm sort of intrigued about why we're following that and what mm. it will be the actual outcome. Well, you're uh, giving that's me a, the most interesting one at the moment. Yeah, you're giving me an excuse to uh, call you back and check on you again and give us give give us uh, get us uh, give us some comment on all of this as well. Yeah, I'll come into the studio next time. Actually, the article will be will be coming out in mid May. Okay, so, um, I'll be investigating this for the next month. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much. Now, listen, I just want to go back right to the beginning. Finally, let's go back where we started the conversation to delete or not to delete Facebook. That is the question, and pardon my lifted, clunky paraphrasing, but uh, I'm not asking you personally, but what what advice would you give people either thinking about dumping Facebook or, or still wanting to use it? This is a, a contrarian opinion, but actually I think that Facebook is still a really useful tool, and one thing that people don't realize about Facebook is it's democratized, or that's probably not the right word, it's lowered the barriers for small community groups to access these kind of tools that big companies have had for a long time. So as an example, large corporations have always been able to target people at um, a more granulated level because they've had enough money to buy big data, uh, whereas small community groups like charities, not-for-profits, have never been able to do that until Facebook came along and you could put $5 on an ad and it could have hyper-targeted 
mm. a, a, you know, hyper-targeted audience. Mm, mm. So actually, if you remove the ability to do that through Facebook, what else can you... you know, the big companies will still have that um, big data to be able to do it, but smaller not-for-profits won't be able to do it. So I'm actually not sure that um, any sudden change to Facebook is a good thing. Mm. I, I have to look at, it in, look at it more, but there'll be, there'll be lots of repercussions for small businesses, mm. for independent publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, there have already been articles about that. And so my concern is actually around Facebook making very sudden, drastic changes that would reduce the ability of independent small organisations or independent researchers to use their data um, for actually good causes. Greg, That's another side of the story. mm, We might have to leave it there, but it's been fascinating talking to you, and uh, it's been a very multi-pronged and multi-layered discussion we've had tonight, and lots to think about. So I want to thank you for your insights and being on Communication Mixdown. John, and sorry about the quality of the line. I'll come into the studio next time. Okay, uh, we'll we'll chase you up on that. All the best to you as well. Thank you, John. Talking there with Greg Foister, and he's a journalist, as you heard, writing on a whole range of contemporary issues for all kinds of publications, and uh, including, I should add, he writes on issues to do with the environment and sustainability. And if you look for his name, I'm sure you'll run across it somewhere in your travels. His article is called Facebook and Data Harvesting, and we're going to put it on the Communication Mixdown website along with the podcast of this show. That's it for us this week. We're here again next Thursday. We'll be speaking to you then.